the Holy Spirit, whom we've been thinking about in our messages for the last couple of months, the Holy Spirit intends for you to be holy. Let me say that again slowly. The Holy Spirit intends for you to be holy. As we bring this series to a close today, I want us to remember this one uh, fundamental, basic, but very essential function of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. It actually is a most obvious statement, a logical statement, isn't it? Since He is the Holy Spirit, and since we have been baptized by the Holy Spirit when we became Christians... And since the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us, it would make perfect sense that the Holy Spirit aims to make his people holy. As Marvin read from 1 Peter 1, God says, You shall be holy as I am holy. It's often been said that the longer a couple is married the more they start to look like each other. And if that's the case, I was thinking maybe there is some hope for me. Well, I'm not sure about looks, but it does make sense that the longer a couple is married, assuming it's a generally happy marriage, the more they start to generally resemble each other in their actions and in their thoughts. If you ever had a chance to talk to Ken and Mary Scott, you will notice this. They've been married for, what, over 75 years. Amazing. The more they start to resemble each other, at least in their actions and in their thoughts, if not even their looks, they increasingly like doing the same kinds of things. And it's not like they think exactly the same all the time. They're still individuals. They still have their own thoughts. There's still things to work on. There's still compromises to be made, even occasional disagreements to work through in their relationship. But it starts to become more and more predictable the longer we're married. There are less surprises. There are more um, similarities. There's greater understanding of one another. Well, once the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives, it's even better than that. Because now we're not talking about two sinners. One of the great marriage books that I often recommend when I do premarital counseling has a great title. It's called, When Sinners Say I Do. But when the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence in our lives, we're not talking about two sinners. We're talking about the perfect God taking up residence in a redeemed and saved sinner. And because of that, it's not a mutual kind of thing where husband and wife have this sort of give-and-take relationship in order to get to the place where they start to think and act the same. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit starts the work of making you look more and more like, listen to this, he starts the work of making you look more and more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working to make us look more like Jesus. In that verse, Jesus is described as glorious, but he's also described in various places as holy. 
Jesus is described as holy. In John 6, Peter, the disciple, says this to Jesus. He says, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. At one point, even a demon recognizes and says the same thing to Jesus in Luke 4.34. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so, again, when we're talking about these sort of things, we get into the mysteries of the triune God, the God that is three persons and each person is truly God. But the point is that God is holy. In Isaiah 6, the God the Father is called holy, holy, holy three times. And some people think that is referring to the triune God. God the Father is holy, God the Son is holy, and God the Spirit is holy. But we have already seen that God the Son is holy in those references in John and Luke, and God the Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. And now it's the Holy Spirit that lives in us that is striving to make you and I holy. So that's the aim of this last message of our series, to remind us that Fundamentally and, and basically, even by definition, the Holy Spirit intends his, his intention, his aim, his function, his role, the Holy Spirit intends to make God's children holy. He intends to conform us into the image of God's Son who himself is holy. And so a good place to start today is to define what we actually mean by holy. And we could go in a couple of different directions, and they would all get at what holy means. It could simply mean that which is perfect, that which is without stain, without blemish. We could say it's something that belongs to God. Like when we talk about the Holy Bible, or the Holy Land, or the Holy City, you might want to combine those two meanings and say that holiness is a quality that belongs only to God. Quality that belongs only to God. We sometimes sing, Only thou art holy. There is none beside thee. Yet, if only God is holy, we then might ask, Would God tell us, would God command us to be something that we cannot be? Be holy as I am holy. Since holiness has to do with perfection, and that perfection is something that only belongs to God, then is holiness something that is always beyond our grasp? Well, in a very real sense, we would have to say yes. Holiness is beyond our grasp. That is, if we try to get there on our own. But that's the point. If you're a Christian, you are not on your own. You have the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit then, and only the Holy Spirit, that can work to make you holy. That's why it's so important that you know about the Holy Spirit. That's what makes him so precious and so worthy of our study and and our affection. We have God the Holy Spirit to praise and to thank for working to make us like Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God. Now, the great issue, the, the, the great barrier with trying to get to that place of being holy is, of course, our sin. And as I've said often, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. That is, that Jesus took the penalty for us when he died on the cross, right? We understand that, I hope. We have been saved from the power that sin has over us when Jesus was raised from the dead. The power that God used to raise 
Jesus from the dead tells us that God has power over sin and death, but we have not yet been saved from the presence of sin. From the penalty of sin, yes. From the power of sin, yes. But not yet from the presence of sin. We still feel the effects of sin. We can all admit that. We see that around us in in the effects of sin and in creation. We see it in the effects of sin on the environment and in culture. And And then we feel it inside us as we age, even as we just plain hurt and even as we experience sadness and, and pain and, and discouragement and guilt and broken relationships and all these things that we struggle with, we still deal with the temptations to sin. We still deal with many times when we give in to those temptations. And we need to come to the Lord and confess our sin. It's because of all that, because of this presence of, of, uh, and the darkness of remaining sin and that the desire to be holy as I am holy is a battle. We've already seen from places like Romans 8 and Galatians 5 that there is a, a, wage, a, a war that's waging in our inner self between what Paul calls the, the flesh, which is sin, and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. And we have to admit that we feel that struggle. But because we have the Holy Spirit... And again, only because we have the Holy Spirit, we can overcome our sin. We have been enabled to overcome our sin. And that's exactly where I want to land this morning, this call to overcome sin, this call to be holy as I am holy. God, the Holy Spirit, is in us and has empowered us and is helping us work toward that end of becoming holy. Holy. We have a role to play in that as well. I know that because in addition, to already, in addition to everything we've already learned from the Bible about the Holy Spirit, it also talks in the Bible in different places, three different places at least, about being able to resist the Holy Spirit in Acts 7.51 or to quench the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 or to grieve the Holy Spirit. And it's this last one that I want us to camp on a bit here in the next few minutes. And you might look at that and think, we can resist the Holy Spirit? Really, we can quench the Holy Spirit? We can grieve the Holy Spirit? Wait a minute, can we actually cause the Holy Spirit to grieve? Can our decisions, can our failures actually affect the emotions of God the Holy Spirit? Well, again... I would have to say no and yes. No, God does not have emotions in the same way that we think of them. He doesn't change depending on what we do or don't do. But yes, in the sense that the Bible uses this kind of language to drive home what can happen when we don't actually live in a way that shows what ought to have happened when we were baptized with and indwelt by the Holy Spirit when we are less than holy. So let's go to that verse where it talks about do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which is in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, so that you can hear this from God and not just from me. I'll read the verse so you can see that, and then we'll, we'll work our way out from that verse. So Ephesians 4, verse 30, do not... Grieve the Holy Spirit of God, 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So there it is. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the one who sealed you for the day of redemption. And by the way, that's another amazing part of the Holy Spirit's work in us is that he seals us. One that we didn't really cover because it's the Holy Spirit that does that. There's no danger of that seal being opened and us somehow slipping away. We're safe and we're secure and secured by the Holy Spirit for until our final redemption, when we will be safely delivered into the eternal presence of our God. It's another wonderful work of the Holy Spirit that he seals his children. We talked about that a little bit in Romans 8, in the whole chapter, if you want to look at that a little bit more, about the Spirit's work in, in assuring us of our salvation and securing our salvation. But here we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. So again, we ask, how could we possibly do that? Well, let's move out from Ephesians 4.30 on both sides. We could actually go way back, actually, to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and 3. That whole section, that whole first half of Ephesians, is really a glorious reminder of how God made it possible for sinners like me and like you to get saved. As we strive to be holy, it's good to be reminded that God acted upon us first and that we can now strive in that strength in that presence of the Holy Spirit. But look at the first verse there in chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Paul writing here, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That right there is really a call to holiness. You've been saved. Now it's Paul saying, walk like a saved person. What does that look like? Well, in verse 17, we'll see first what that does not look like. So go over to chapter 4, Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And it goes on to describe the fact that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, they're, they're ignorant, all those things. Actually, let's read right down to verse 20 since I've already started. Um, they understand they're alienated from the life of God, verse 18, because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality. That's talking about the Gentiles now, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. It's not the way you learned Christ. So what should you do? Look at verse 22. You put, out your, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and now be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then it goes on to tell us what that looks like. It talks about rather than lie, speak the truth. Be careful with your anger. Use your words only for helpful ends. And then our verse there in verse 30. So, so how do you prevent that? And for, for this, I want to read a longer section, right up to actually chapter 5, verse 18. Pastor Andrew walked us chap, through chapter 5, verse 18 a number of weeks ago. But as I read this, you're going to hear a lot of don't do's. Don't do this, don't do that. But listen also for what's already been done for us and, and how that then keeps you from doing the kinds of things that mark someone who has not been saved. So look at chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. 
Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetousness, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, you do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So notice how it starts and ends. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but be filled with the Spirit. Two ways we're supposed to relate to the Holy Spirit. We are not to grieve Him. Rather, we are to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. As Pastor Andrew so helpfully explained, talking about being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, because before that it says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be under the influence, if we're, as believers, we're supposed to be, always be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And in between those two commands are all these, I just call them everyday things that either grieve the Spirit or describe the kind of person who is, in, who is influenced um, by the Spirit, who is not influenced by the Spirit. Um, bitterness, don't, don't be bitter, but be kind. Don't use crude words, but use words of gratitude. Don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but walk in the light, etc. In short, it's a call to be holy. It's a call to put off your old self and put on the new self. That's the kind of language it uses back in chapter 4, verse 22 to 24. Since we have the Holy Spirit, our lives should reflect holiness. If we look and act and talk more like our old self, more like our pre-conversion self, well, that's how we're said here to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That, that sort of thing grieves the Holy Spirit because you may as well be saying the Holy Spirit makes absolutely no difference in my life. He has not changed me. He has no power. There is no fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are, are hidden or remain unused. And, and by doing that, you hurt the church. You say you have the Spirit, but where is He? How could someone tell? And so Paul simply says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't live that way. 
Don't talk that way. Don't act that way. And here again, we just need to remind ourselves that the only way we can be different is through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that produces the change. It's the Holy Spirit that regenerates our hearts. We, we can't generate this Holy Spirit-empowered life. It comes by regeneration. And regeneration comes by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 5, and 6, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, at our conversion, does that work of, uh, of making us pure and, and, and holy, and then we keep on becoming holy. Renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's just a reminder that doing good and right things can't save us. They, they, they can't generate for us a right standing before God. But doing good and right things is the evidence of the, that the Holy Spirit has, has regenerated us. Sometimes we talk in terms of, of, of the fruit that comes as the root takes shape. But now he has regenerated us in order to do good and right things. And so we're now expected to do them. Do you see how that works? Anything less than that, or, any, or at least any constant pattern of life that's not moving toward holiness, can cast into question whether we actually have the Holy Spirit. Right? Flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for a minute. First Corinthians 6, and look down at verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to this. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here, here's where you need to know grammar. The verb tense is important here. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Go down to verse 18, same chapter. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So here Paul uses one of the examples he listed back in verse 9, sexual immorality. And look at verse uh, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Paul is saying... We can't live as believers, those who profess to be Christians, as if we do not have the Holy Spirit. We used to live that way, but something has happened to us. And that something is a someone, right? The Holy Spirit has come. We have received Christ, and now the Spirit has come and lives inside us. He indwells us. So take this as a way to do some self-examination. Does your life give evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit? Going back to Ephesians 4 and 5, I love how it gives uh, a practical, everyday examples there. I love how it 
uh, how it, it, you know, we can relate to this stuff. The list in 1 Corinthians 6, you know, those things are a little bit more obvious. Sexual sin, theft, drunkenness. But in Ephesians, it was more just the ordinary things that we do every day. Remember, we said from Galatians 5 that walking in the Spirit is a, is a one-step-at-a-time kind of thing in the ordinary activities of life, how we interact with our neighbors, our attitudes, our work, the words that come out of our mouth, even our jokes it talks about here. So how do you measure up? What is the consistent pattern of your life? What kinds of things upset you? What kinds of things make you angry? What would someone else say as they observe your attitude? What is your general comportment, to use an old word? What about how you talk? What comes out of your mouth? And of course, in our day and age, we could include in our talk those words that come up off our keyboard, right? And and show up on social media. Would your words be described as wholesome? Or unwholesome? Are you frequently sarcastic? Are you frequently negative? Do you often take pot shots at people and excuse it by saying, I was just joking? Is your speech filled with filthiness? Foolish talk? Or do your words more often build people up? Do they more often give grace to those who hear? Would people describe you as kind, quick to overlook an offense, quick to forgive? Listen, that first list is made up of things that, if they are habitual, that's your way of life, put you in a position of grieving the Holy Spirit of God. They are habits that are inconsistent with who you say you are if you claim to be a Christian. You have an opportunity now that you hear this, to repent and to stop in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. But also know that the Holy Spirit is a helper. Ask him to help you become more like that other kind of person. The person that is kind and loving and forgiving. The kind of person that's increasingly and progressively filled with the Spirit, such that the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are obvious and observable. Now again, a reminder, you need to hear this, that we will not be perfect yet. We will all fail. We will all need to confess and repent often. But we want to be looking for progress in holiness. Are we trending Christward in our words and in our thoughts and in our actions. Are you trending Christward? I hope we can say and thereby give evidence of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to make us holy. Well, I want to start drawing our series on the Holy Spirit to a close by just having us think about how we should respond to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Even as we keep this basic progression in mind that the Holy Spirit intends to make us holy. There's a writer by the name of Dan Phillips in his book, The World Tilting Gospel. He's, he's given an easy little outline that I'm going to borrow. This comes from his chapter on who is the Holy Spirit uh, from that book. 
And, and, and I hope it might leave you just a memorable framework. It's on your outline there, and they all start there. It's just one word that starts with the letter T, so, so pretty simple framework. Thank, trust, target, and toil. Number one, thank God for the wide, and as we've learned, sweeping and amazing work of the Holy Spirit in you. Thank God. Maybe at one time you were indifferent to God. Maybe at one time you were an opposer of God. But now you have embraced the gospel and you hunger to know God and you want to please God and you, and you love the Bible and you love to pray and you love to be with God's people. You love to go to church. If any of that is true, any of that, you can thank the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of work he does in your life. That's the kind of affections he produces in you. Number two, trust. We should trust, listen, we should trust, not seek what God has given us in the Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is working in you. You can trust that he is working in you right now to make you more like Jesus. You don't need to seek more of the Spirit, as so many people seem to teach these days. You do need to keep living a Spirit-filled, Spirit-influenced life. And you do that by the ordinary means that God has already provided. As you read your Bible, for instance, as you pray, as you attend church, as you serve others. And then believe, trust that the Spirit is doing His work. It says in Galatians, just keep in step with the Spirit. Go one step at a time with the Spirit, becoming more and more like Christ. Number three, target. The Holy Spirit will always direct you to Jesus. That's what I mean by that. Jesus is his primary target. The Spirit is not out for self-praise or self-glory. He aims to see that Jesus receives glory. And it should be the same for us. I quote Phillips here. He says, The great love and focus and fascination of the Holy Spirit is the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he says somewhat, maybe a little bit provocatively, show me a person who is obsessed with the Holy Spirit, and I will show you a person not filled with the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, show me a person focused on the person and work of Jesus, and I will show you a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. We should learn what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, he continues, but we should never lose sight of this. To the degree that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be targeted on, focused on, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank, trust, target, and finally, toil. As we've seen, the Holy Spirit lavishes on, upon us all these blessings, so many blessings. He helps us in so many ways. But that does not mean that we just wait around for the Holy Spirit to do his work. We have to do something in the strength of the Holy Spirit, yes, but we have to act We have to be holy. We have to say no to the world. We have to say no to all the enticements of the world. And we have to say yes to the things of Christ. Not through our self-generated discipline or or, or our effort, because that can only lead to legalism, but by using and by utilizing all that the Holy Spirit gives us. Praying in the Spirit. Reading the scriptures that the Holy Spirit inspired for us, that he gave us. Using his gifts for the common good of the church, giving evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, crucifying the passions and desires of the flesh. So are all action words, right? Praying, reading, using, giving evidence, crucifying. 
We need to toil in the strength of the Spirit. And so, brother and sister Christian, remember the blessing that is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. You are nothing without the Holy Spirit. I am nothing without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit means everything to you. In many ways, it's the Holy Spirit that carries you along on that journey between your conversion when you came to know Christ and your death. He's the one that carries you to, or from salvation to glorification. He was involved in your salvation as he convicted you of sin and, and helped you to see Christ and to behold Christ and Christ crucified. But he's the one that works to make you holy and to conform you and shape you so that you look more and more and more like Jesus. He protects you and he helps you to say no to sin and to the flesh and to the world. And so I just want to close this message and this sermon with the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, sometimes called the Prince of Preachers. He was a preacher in London, England, in the last half of the 1800s. But he captures and summarizes the glories and the ministry of the Holy Spirit just very concisely. So I just want to read that from you, for you. The Holy Spirit, he writes, is the source of all holy desires, consistent purposes, and good works. There is no good thing in us but what he produces. He dwells within us as the teacher, the comforter, and the advocate of the soul. He leads us into truth, he leads us against Satan, and he leads us to labor for God. He warns us of evil, directs us to Jesus, and applies the blessings of salvation to our souls. He is in us as a well of water springing up into eternal, everlasting life. Without the Holy Spirit... There is not, there cannot be, genuine religion, for he is its author, guardian, and guide. To him we are indebted for every good desire, for every holy thought, for every good word, and for every fruitful work. He works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Every, every tear of penitence, every contrite sigh, Every fervent prayer, every ray of spiritual light, every holy emotion toward God is from the Holy Spirit. If he left us, our graces would soon wither, fade, and die. When we grieve him, our comforts decline, our evidences are beclouded, and our hands wax feeble. But if we sow to the Spirit, if we walk in the Spirit, if we aim in all things to please him, then... Our souls are vigorous, our graces are lively, and we are enabled to find our joy in God. Thanks to God for the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we simply want to say again, thank you for God the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have not left us alone. Thank you that you left us the comforter, the one who is the counselor, the one who is helper, the one who is the advocate, the one who is the spirit of truth, someone who intercedes for us, someone that continually points us to our precious Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, someone who helps us, who convicts us of sin, someone who pierces our conscience, that keeps us from drifting in our faith, or worse, from shipwrecking our faith. We're so grateful for all that you 
do for us, all that you are for us in Christ and by your Spirit. Thank you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.